It's great to see you here this morning, and uh, this morning's uh, significant day in the life of our church. Uh, Mandy and I came on August the 20th, almost four years ago, and I remember when I first even had the pre-interviews sort of interviews and people talking to me and saying, you know, will you get a, what's your vision for the church? What is it? And when I arrived, um, I just sensed to go in with a vision and say, this is where God's saying before we even got to know each other and before there was so much transition already happening, uh, we felt it was best not to go launching into it. Over the last four years, we've started a little, little vision team and together we've sought to try and help lead us together articulate our values and you'll be aware of our values now. We've preached series on them, we've given bookmarks out and we've done all of that. And just in um, the last couple of years, we've started to spend more time considering what our church vision would be. And uh, at the church retreat this uh, year, uh, about 18 of our staff, deacons, pastoral team um, got together and we shared for the whole weekend as I shared some of the things that I'd been thinking about that would be a a vision for our church. And they responded and we've had many sort of discussions and sharing together. I've been to different leadership groups where I've, I've shared the vision and sought feedback from people. And really, from what I first shared on that first retreat with the staff, deacons and elders, the vision has changed quite a, quite a bit. We've been moulding and shaping it together. And today, as we share together what we sense would be a vision f- for our church for the future, There are many other people that have been involved in this as well. And we put it today saying, God, would you lead us and direct us? Um, As you leave today, um, there is a little daily reflections guide. And it's simply just um, modelled on soap where some of the key verses of our vision uh, will be shared for you to reflect on, just for about five to ten minutes each day. There's only 30 of those available this morning. So if you want to email us, we'll send them to you tomorrow as well if you miss out on getting one, but they're from the information desk today. Let's turn to Psalm 1 together and uh, let me read that for you. We'll be spending three weeks on our vision and uh, hopefully you'll see some different things happening. Doesn't it look fantastic up here? Makes you interested, doesn't it? So we're very thankful to our creative people for that. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked... They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. Seems almost a little bit uh, strange. I don't know how you have felt the last few days going about our normal day-to-day activities so freely while so many things Thousands of people have no home and no food, have lost loved ones uh, just in recent weeks. So as we come uh, to further on and to go in our service, why don't we pray for those that are suffering in our world this morning? Let's pray. Oh God, your people here at Wodonga District Baptist Church, uh, we just thank you, God, for this opportunity to think about what your vision might be for us. And to God, to come with our hearts and minds open and ready to hear from you, God. And we just thank you for the privilege to do that today because our homes are not demolished. Uh, Our safety is intact this morning. We know where we'll sleep tonight and where we'll get food. And we just um, 
God, we want to pause this morning and just say, God, we really are aware that there's great suffering in our world today. We pray for people in Burma. Uh, God, we pray for those that are recovering from this cyclone that has hit. And God, we pray knowing that there's a real desperate need for uh, aid, for help, uh, for more openness from the authorities. And God, for quick, um, a quick response. And God, we just thank you that you are aware of all the needs and all the struggles in that country. And we just pray, God, that you would be helping things to, uh, to go quickly and to move quickly to help those that need it most. And God, this morning our hearts go out for those in China. Uh, Lord, we just pray for those who are still searching for loved ones who are under the rubble. Uh, for authorities as they try and organise a swift response and for the many, many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have lost loved ones and who are grieving over those that they cannot find. God, we pray for the many, many uh, almost unfathomable amounts of people who don't have houses because of these disasters or places to live and we pray that you would care for them. God, we thank you just for this country and for where we are. Most of us just were born here or came here and not realising how good it would be to live in this country. And we just say thank you. And uh, we just pray you'd help us to do what we can to help others uh, in this time. God, now we just thank you for this opportunity to continue to worship you and we just open our hearts and say, Lord, uh, speak to us. Show us your vision. Show us your direction. Show us your future for us, your people. We want to be led by you, God. We want to be wholeheartedly behind the things that you're doing. So, God, speak to us. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week I spent some time on a hill just overlooking Wodonga and I started to think just a little bit about some of uh, the things that really, I think, grieve God, um, the things that would really upset God. I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking for some time now, which would really, uh, which really disturbs me, and I don't know, it, it must disturb you as well, is the way that people so often treat their lives um, just like they're so cheap. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like people treat life like it has very little value. We see it on a worldwide scale. I don't know about you, but as we've been watching the uh, situation unfold in Burma and we've been seeing the desperate needs of people in that country and then hearing the, with grief uh, the cries of the uh, aid workers who are saying there are people dying in there but the government won't let us in because of their secrecy. And you think... The leaders are stopping people going in to save lives because it's more important to be secretive or, you know, authority. And you think they undervalue life. It's not just uh, other people, though, on a worldwide scale. I opened the papers this week to read about what was happening in China and the two first stories that caught my eye with the big headlines were, firstly, it's not going to affect the Olympic Games. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> and there's no Australians. Like they didn't mention that there were more than 20,000 people. Oh, well, they did mention it, but you had to go looking more. But the big news that comes out is not what's affecting people losing lives, but how it affects us. We see everything through our own lenses. 
and seem to undervalue the lives of other people. I think you only have to listen to the newspapers and the stories that we hear regularly to see that so many people treat life like it's so cheap. You know, not so long ago, I heard about a lady rushing to work a couple of minutes late and she tried to beat a train across the tracks to get to work on time and she was killed instantly. Life just treated so cheaply. A guy I saw being arrested for travelling more than 200 kilometres on the highway. You know, what would cause someone to say, I'm willing to risk this one life I have? to just abandon, you know, risk losing it for a thrill. I think week after week we see reports of people that have showed how little they value their life by just getting completely written off and in the wee hours of the morning in Dean Street just punching people and causing damage to other lives while they write their own lives off. And I think... People seem to treat life so cheaply. I read a story in the paper um, just recently which told that a group of people gathered in a wealthy Melbourne suburb in Templestowe and they gathered together and these uh, 100 people paid $50 for afternoon tea as they sat down in a local community centre while uh, Dr. Philip Nitschke told them how they could kill themselves with dignity. Uh, I think about the one life that we're given, and I think it grieves God when we treat it like it doesn't really matter, or we treat it cheaply. And as I was sitting on top of the hill this week, I was looking over down on our church and saw car after car drive past our church, And I thought, there are so many people that live in this area around and and some of them treat their lives so cheaply, but others just don't even realise that there's more to the life they're living. Some have plasma screens or, or nice couches. They have a nice house and family. And the tragedy is that many people are just satisfied with what they have, mainly because they never realize there's anything more. That God has more. There are some people in Wodonga that are aching and breaking and are broken and they don't know how they can have a kind of life and they, that is worthwhile and fulfilling and they keep destroying themselves. And you know what I think? I think as God looks down, he weeps. I think as Jesus looks across this world and sees how so many people undervalue life, he weeps. What do I think this? Because look what it says in John 10, 10. When Jesus came, he said, he said this. He said, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and destroy I think Satan looks at our world and as he sees people destroying their own lives and destroying the lives of other people, Satan laughs. He delights in people undervaluing their own lives. But I think when Jesus sees that, he weeps because he said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God longs for people to have life in all its fullness. The word life to the full, to the full, has a sense of abundance. It has a sense of overwhelmingly more than we ever expected having. For this, it would be like people realising, oh, I think life is fine just how I'm going, and then all of a sudden realising there's a whole dimension of life that they were missing out on that they never even realised they could have had, and it would make life so much more fulfilling. And Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. And have it to the full. Everyone that drives past our church, everyone that's broken and addicted to to sin and caught in their sin and in their lostness, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Every single person 
who's treating their life like it's so cheap. Jesus says, oh, I've come so that you would have life to the full. Superabundance is the sense of that word. Uh, Overwhelmingly more than we expected. Like the difference between an entree serving and a main course. You know, it's a difference between, you know, just okay and overwhelmingly fulfilling. Jesus said, the thief comes to destroy. Satan is a hungry lion wanting to devour every person he can. Jesus says, I've come so you might have life and have it to the full. And you know, one of the things I think that would cause Jesus to even uh, weep more is that there are Christians who have come to know Jesus in some kind of way, but just don't live this life to the full. They kind of have just thought that religion is about doing the right thing and living the right way, and yet they never know this fullness of life. I think we see so many times that churches become nothing more than places of people who have similar assent but still have all the same um, you know, hurtful attitudes or uh, ways of treating one another because they have not realised and started genuine relationships with Jesus where they can experience this life to the full. What does God think about it when people who come to Jesus don't change and don't see the evidence of that work in their lives? I think he weeps because I think he longs for us to have fullness of life in Christ. And this is what I think Jesus would long for our church to focus on. This is what I think fullness of life would mean for us. I think God longs for a church to have to be a church that thrives, to be a church where we would all thrive because we're close to Jesus, because we're dependent on him. This is a vision for us to pursue, that we would be a community where people can flourish, where every person that comes to Wodonga District Baptist Church would thrive, What does it mean to thrive? Well, the dictionary uh, says that thrive means to grow. It means to grow vigorously and healthily. So to, to, to thrive means to grow and to grow vigorously and healthily and to keep growing. It says to flourish, it means to thrive. It means that we would flourish because the surroundings that we are planted in are conducive to growth, to healthy growth. And uh, I think a vision for us to pursue can be nothing more than what Jesus wants his people to know and everyone to know. Life to the full, lives that thrive, that flourish because we're connected to Christ. What does it actually mean to thrive? How can we actually, what does it look like to thrive? Well, thriving is nothing more than abiding in Christ, being connected to Jesus, to know him, to grow in Christ, to have a union, a oneness with Christ, to be surrendered to, to to be dependent upon, to be walking each day with Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he said, apart from me, you can do Nothing. You know, the only way that we can thrive is through being connected to Jesus, surrendered to Jesus, to be dependent upon Jesus is the only way that a community can thrive, that you can thrive, that people in our world can thrive. It's through Jesus Christ. And to thrive means to live your life 
connected to Christ because apart from him, we can do nothing. Do you know the incredible thing about being able to thrive when we understand that it's only through Christ that we can thrive? Is that you can thrive anywhere, any place, any time. Thriving is not dependent on whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Think about that. If you're poor, you can be connected to Christ, one with Christ, and responding in every way that you can. If you're rich, you can do that too. In fact, Jesus says it's harder if you're rich. Uh, But in any circumstance, rich or poor, you can thrive. Whether you're sick or well, you can thrive because it's connected with Christ. Whether you're old or whether you're young, you can thrive. Whether you're male or whether you're female, you can thrive. No matter where you are, no matter what day it is, what time it is, you can thrive by being one with Christ. And if you remain in him and he remains in you, you will bear much fruit. Imagine bearing fruit in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tough times. That's exactly what thriving is about. See, thriving is less about the circumstances that you're in. It's rather about who you are trusting in the midst of circumstances. Thriving is no matter what happens, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I want to share just in the time that we have remaining, just some things that you can fill out in your news sheet is a um, message notes. And we've already, uh, we're just towards the end of those and there's just four, four big ideas that I want to share with you. Crucial ideas about what it means to thrive so that when we go away today, you might understand clearly what it means to thrive. Now, if you haven't already, just to recap, I can hear all those pieces of paper coming out. So Jesus wants us to have life to the full. That's the first space. Jesus wants us to thrive. That's the second space. And now we're moving down to just four big ideas that I want to share with you about thriving. Four simple Thoughts that help you get a grip on what it means to thrive. First of all, we thrive when we obey God, whatever the cost. I don't know if you've ever been in situations where you know what God wants you to do and yet you know it's not going to go well personally for you. You know what I mean? It's not the natural thing that you would normally do if you didn't know God and you're tempted to not obey what God wants you to do because it's going to cost you greatly. Thriving is when you know it will cost you to obey God, but you obey him anyway. I mean, one of the clearest examples of this is Jesus himself. Jesus left his home in heaven, even though it meant leaving glory for him. He obeyed God and he left heaven. He obeyed God completely, whatever the cost, even though it meant leaving heaven and facing criticism and anger and abuse and people yelling at him, and he still obeyed God. He obeyed God completely, even though it meant facing suffering and death. He obeyed God, whatever the cost. And I think one of the clearest kind of verses that sums up Jesus' ability to to trust God and to to obey him completely is perhaps seen most in this verse, Luke 22 and verse 24, where it says just simply these words. Listen, he said in Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. 
And Jesus obeyed God no matter what the cost. And we thrive when we obey God no matter what the cost. You know, I long for a day when each and every one of us uh, choose to be so committed to growing and helping others thrive that we will do costly things obeying God so that we can grow and we can follow him. So we'll be able to obey him no matter what the cost is. I can imagine some of you who might be brand new people just investigating what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And you come along today and you think, oh no, just the fact that I'm here, my family are going to think I've, I've left you know, what we used to be a part of and I'm going to a Baptist church for crying out loud, they're going to disown me. And you might say, but you know what? I really sense God is calling me to obey him no matter what the cost. I'm going to follow him. It might be for you that you're someone who has been uh, you know, teaching kids at kids' church and you feel like God is saying, I want you to have a significant input and impact in these lives. And you say, well, I just haven't got the time or the energy or the strength. And he says, I want you to put in so that those kids are fed and helped to grow. Might be as a small group leader you say that. Obeying God, no matter what the cost. It might be that you have been deeply, deeply wounded and in the midst of your woundedness, you know that God is saying, forgive. And you say, God, that is going to cost me so greatly. People who thrive, obey God, no matter what the cost. It's when we kind of uh, say, stand in the classroom and say, yes, I do believe, rather than denying Christ. It's when we leave a party saying, no, I won't be participating in that kind of behaviour. It's when we, when we say, I will share my faith with someone, even though they might knock me back or laugh at me. Or it's saying, I will care for the unlovely or the poor or the people that are far away that don't know or are suffering worse than I am. We thrive when we obey God, no matter what the cost. Second point. We thrive when we trust God, no matter or whatever the circumstance. We thrive when we trust God, Whatever the circumstance. Not only do we obey God, but we trust God in whatever the circumstance. You know, uh, uh, often what happens is that when people begin to trust God, they put their trust in him and their roots go down and they start to grow. Just like what's happening over here. A seed has been planted and roots start. And over time, as they continue to get their roots down and strengthened, the seed turns into a plant and the plant grows. And after time of continual walking and, and being in God's word and growing and praying and serving, they become strong. And you know what happens? Whatever the circumstances, people who thrives, thrive, their faith remains strong. This is what the psalmist talked about in Psalm 1. Look, look what he says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. They're reading and they're saying, oh God, the roots are going down stronger and stronger and deeper. And then it says, whatever, he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. And what I see here is like a tree with its roots going deep down and it's right next to a river. And while the seasons come and go, the drought comes in, the harsh winds uh, you know, continue to beat against this tree. And instead of it withering and, and, and dying, it's thriving. Why? Because its roots are down deep and being nourished. And you know what I've found? that people thrive when they trust God, whatever the circumstance. And when you see someone who's trusting God in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, you can know that Christ is at work in that life. 
I've seen it before. I've heard about it happening over and over again. Um, There's such a contrast of pictures in Psalm 1. A wasted life of chaff. The other life that thrives because they're deep down in God's God's word. And, And what happens is they wrestle with things when they go wrong. They talk about it. They look, wrestle with things with God through his word when something goes wrong. They talk about it to God. They pray about it. They apply God's word to their lives. They think about how God's word affects their marriages, affects their work, affects their family, affects everything. And they apply it in times of suffering. I wonder about you. In times, circumstances go really bad in our lives, don't they? Times when we wish the things that happened to us would never happen. At those times, do you find that you've been so going into God's word that you feel deeply grounded and able to trust whatever the circumstance? What about you as leaders? Are you thriving? Because of your groundedness in God's word. Do you know what happened in South Africa? A bishop named Frank Retrieve, he was one, a pastor of a church in South Africa. And one night he was preaching at an evening service in South Africa. And right in the middle of the evening service, a group of men entered the church. Three men. One had a bomb and inside, it was inside tin with nails and shrapnel inside the bomb and he threw it down the aisle. And as it exploded, uh, all the nails and shrapnel ripped through people in the congregation. The other two men had guns and started just shooting at people. And many people were killed that night right in church, right in the middle of a service. Um, In the Wednesday service that followed, the church was absolutely packed full. People grieved. People were very quiet. People mourned. But you know what? Few people lost their faith. Uh, News reporters uh, wanted to find out what, what had happened. Why had so many people not lost their faith? Why had they kept going? And Bishop Frank Retrieve shared with them and he shared with me when I was in Bible college and he was sharing to the students there. He said these words about why people didn't lose their faith in that time. He said, I think it was the fact that we'd been diligently teaching the word of God each week, week in and week out. Because we were faithful in this, when tragedy hit, people were grounded in a biblical view of God. And the world. Uh, Bishop Frank Retrieve would say, people become like trees, nourished by streams of God's word, stable and bearing fruit in all circumstances. And they thrive when they trust in God and his word. The picture of Psalm 1 is what our vision is for people, for all of us that we would be so dependent on God and his word and in whatever circumstance we go, we would look to him and we would trust him in whatever circumstance we face. I can think of so many people who have thrived in this time that I've been, we've been together as part of this church. I can think of uh, Lisa who was facing treatment for cancer and through her last days on earth, she thrived looking to Jesus Trusting in him. I think of Trish, just recent days. Right in the last hours of her life, she continued to ask that the scriptures would be read to her so that in the midst of that time, her faith and trust was strong even as she went to be with him. I think of uh, Kathy having treatment for removing of a, of a tumour. And I remember her saying to me, one thing I know is this, that God is good. Whatever happens, God is good. 
I think of one lady also having treatment who said, just, can you just, you and Gail, give us me verses that I can just read and focus on so I can keep trusting in whatever circumstance I face. You know what? I felt the times that I have thrived the most in my life has been in the midst of the most difficult circumstance. Have you found the same? I think sometimes God puts us in difficult circumstances so that we can trust him, so that we can look to him and depend on him like we've never done before. Times when I've been so shown by God my sin that I have grieved and spent time away from everybody, praying, journaling, saying, God, right in the midst of these circumstances, please, I want to trust you. Times when I've failed a whole year of Bible college. This is my calling. This is where I was going. And I had to realise that I had to go back again and face it. Because no matter what the circumstances, I need to trust that he had called me. What about you? Are you being shaped by God's word or by your television? What's shaping your life? third big idea about how we thrive is we thrive when we share Christ (coughs) whatever the response whatever the response do you know when you really start to know Jesus when you become one with Christ and you know him and you love him and you're connected to the vine and you start bearing fruit because you're in his word and you're praying and you're reading and you're growing and your roots are growing down you know what You don't have to kind of G yourself up to evangelise. You know God. You know Christ. You are thriving because you realise that life is better with Jesus. And you share with other people what cannot be contained in you. I think of people from this church who constantly look for friends to invite to different services. I think of a couple that have, have bought friends to uh, the Easter service, then invited them back to the Christmas musical, and then when one of them was being baptised, saying, come to my baptism with a prayer that people, these friends would come and come to know Jesus. And I think of other friends who often have people around at their house who don't know Jesus and mix them with other friends who do with a prayer that people would come to know him. Uh, I think about Jesus' call for us who know him to not stay, but to go, to go into all the world. Remember Jesus' last words to his disciples as he had nurtured them, as he'd stayed with them, as he'd fellowshiped with them, and he said in, in, in Matthew 22 and verse 37 to 40, he said, In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he said, Go into all the world. Go. Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I long for us to be a community, a church where... People are so in love with God that we long for others to know him like we do. That we care about our friends and our neighbours and the people that we work with. And that we can't help to look for opportunities to share what is real in our lives. That Jesus is at work in us and he's changing us and he's helping us grow. I wonder about you in this point. When was the last time you had a coffee with someone who was far from God? When was the last time you had them over for dinner? People who thrive long for people to know the Christ who they know. Last big idea. We thrive when we have faith, 
whatever the obstacles. Do you know, this vision is a vision that is so hard for any community to achieve. We can't do it unless Christ wants us to. In fact, what we're trying to do is take someone from right over here who knows very little bit about God, who who is actually anti-God, who doesn't really think that there's anything more to life and we want to lead them to a point where they come to know Jesus and they bow the knee at the cross of Christ and they say, Lord Jesus, I want you to become my saviour and my Lord and they put down their roots and they start to go deeper and deeper and understand who God is and what he's done for them and they start to live a life that is now growing in Christ, bearing fruit and getting them to a point where they can actually, where we can actually go into all the world and help others come to know Jesus. How hard do you think that is? I mean, for somebody who's perhaps now facing addictions, who've been abused, who have little doubt, who have been hurt by churches, who have been upset by people that have tried to you know, be overbearing on them. How hard do you think this is? I think we might be mad, church, <laughs> to try and take on a vision like this. It's overwhelming enough for me because I